Really at Jam City, we want to treat the players first and foremost. We really care about their experiences. That comes down to ad quality and what type of ads they're seeing. So we want to make sure that the performance is there. A waterfall management does take a lot of time. The big drawback is the back and forth with networks, obviously the uh, analysis behind it, and not always is the juice worth the squeeze, so to speak. That was Kyle. Kyle is the Senior Director of Ad Monetization from Jam City, and he uses IronSource's platform to automate his monetization and grow game revenue. That is time that is really maximized and could theoretically be a 50 to 100% to 2x increase in overall ad revenue. Theoretically, Level Play just automates a lot of that. That is a huge time sink for a lot of our teams. Want to grow like Jam City? Get the SDK on ironslc.com. That's ironslc.com. We all know it. Mobile marketing is going through a paradigm shift. With the industry moving towards a more aggregate way of measuring marketing efforts, marketers' ability to measure and understand the impact of their marketing investments is further curtailed. AppSlyer, though, is not sitting on the sidelines. The company has set a goal to help their customers and the entire mobile ecosystem to successfully navigate the new era of mobile marketing. And that's where AppSlyer's latest product, the incrementality solution, comes to play. It's a product that truly empowers marketers to gain a better understanding of the real value that their marketing efforts hold. AppSlyer's incrementality solution is built around remarketing. It simplifies the process of designing, executing, and analyzing incremental lift tests at scale, which previously was something that only the biggest players on the market were able to do. With, with incrementality, marketers can focus on the end goal of their test without actually having to worry about the heavy lifting that comes with it. To learn more about incrementality and to read the success stories from publishers like Kabam, I suggest you head out to appsliers.com. What's up, everybody? We are here at Twig 116. We've got the regular crew, myself, Joe K. Mark Kress, Mishka Katkoff, and Adam Telfer. And today we're going to be covering four articles. First, mobile game maker Playtika goes public at $11 billion valuation from GameSpeed. Second, 2020 year in review from Beijingers blog. Third, Star Wars games to be branded under Lucasfilm Games banner by IGN. And finally, uh, the Deconstructor Fun Predictions, RPG and Hypercasual from the Deconstructor of Fun blog. How are you guys doing, guys? How are I'm you doing? doing? Yeah, I'm doing fine. <laughs> it, lo it looks like you got drunk and beat up last night there, <laughs> Joseph. What happened? Uh, just, just a little tired, <laughs> otherwise good. And Adam finally put something on the fucking wall, a Mortal Kombat poster of some sort. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, like 1992. It's, like, it's, it's, <laughs> it's almost even ad. it's almost even worse, right? Because it's like this little poster in this absolutely massive wall, and it's like, yeah. okay, well, at least you made an effort there, Mr. Adam. Yeah, I don't know. I'll eventually decorate. <laughs> All right. I don't know. It's a nice. Have you have you seen this ad? It's like it's, I don't know. I have these oh, like nostalgia for like early '90s video game ads. Well, this they is the, the the, that's that's when Mortal Kombat was the most topical, right? When they were super controversial, right? Way back in the day. But the even this ad, right? It's like two kids getting like pulled up through the arcade by two adults, right? Like it's clearly a mature game, but at the same time. Uh, oh, how things have changed in this world, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, anything else going on, Mr. Katkoff? You got all your predictions done? I wish a lot of them are, are being done. I mean, we have a we have a pretty strong crew like Suford's prediction is going to be the last because I think that's going to be the um, the definitive one. <laughs> I, I hey, I read through the first two. They're not bad, dude. I mean, they seem to be more meaty this time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, wait till we get to the strategy. That's your favorite part. We're going to talk about a little bit. Maybe maybe Lilith, maybe maybe a little bit of Supercell, maybe Little Riot, all your favorite topics. We're going to cover MOBAs. The new Kabam MOBA, uh, Wild well, I, Yeah, I'm so, not doing predictions this year, but I, my, my, my prediction is that the worst game last year was Riot and the worst game this year is Riot. So that's <laughs> the most disappointing wow. mobile games. <laughs> I wouldn't say the worst. Like, what do you mean? Like, no, no, I, I'm sorry, sorry. I didn't mean worse. I, I, I'm rephrasing. I said the yeah. missing expectations, you know, like 
Cyberpunk and this last year, the Riot Games last year, and now this year it's going to be Riot, you, and it's going to be Diablo. The Diablo <laughs> one was good. You love the uh, the next week. We're going to cover a little bit of uh, of strategy predictions. What I wrote, and I actually found there was a uh, there was a NetEase or NetMarble MOBA Marvel that launched sometimes like last year. It yeah, really, really poorly. Yeah, and Kabam made kind of like the same game like a year after. Like, what's going on first with the IP holders? Um, can and the secondly was like when you're watching how that game performed, and then you're doing a similar game. How do you how do you push forward? Well, we're gonna to get to this later with the Star Wars uh, news, you know, the Lucas Lucas stuff, where now you know no more exclusive, and now they're licensing it to everyone and their mother, yeah. right? And we'll see, <laughs> we'll see how that works out, right? Because anyway, we'll get to it in a minute. But at um, the same time, like I do have to say, as a developer, like if somebody would say, "Do you want to make a Marvel mobile?" There's a high likelihood that it will tank. I'll be like, "Let's go!" Like this sounds amazing. <laughs> we'll be all playing mobas all the time and designing these. Like as a game developer, it's a dream come true, and you can hire the best team. But the chances of success, based on the record, are quite slim. And the uh, when when you miss, it's a pretty expensive miss with a mobile. Dude, you're, yeah, but you're, you're preaching to the choir, right? Kabam has basically been d doing this with the Marvel license since the beginning, right? Yeah. So they've had success with the fighting game, but have found success nowhere else. Transformers, think about, think about the fighting game with Star Wars IP. That would have been amazing. Like the same thing. Like think about how many characters there are. There might be some restrictions on that, I would think. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you can't why? have... They fight all the time. Like this is literally Star Wars. They, they only fight. No, like, I what, know. Like but... a one-on-one -on -one fighter of like, yeah, well, you just like, shoot like, it, like Han Solo just shoots. No, no, just like keep like, tapping the shoot button. No contest of champions, but as a fighting game, like you know Darth Vader versus Skywalker versus Mandalorian, like like the same thing, just like they did with Transformers, just like they did with Contest of Champions. That would be, like, based on simple Dude, math, I, it should make I, as I, much I, money as Contest of Champions. I have a feeling that the Lucas guys would not want Darth Maul just destroying Princess Leia, you know, cutting her in half or something. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> Galaxy of Heroes already kind of does that, right? Like, uh, I, I would pr not, prefer, from a systems design perspective, I would prefer to build a team-based collection game than a one-on-one -on -one fight. No, 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 but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about like a fighting game in which is mono e mono and people are getting limbs cut off, right? And so that does not fit the Star Wars fiction, you know? Well, like well, it doesn't have to get limbs cut off. Like in, in Star Wars, they don't really cut their limbs. They just kind of hit each other. Okay, yeah. I'm rolling into the update. All right, let's go yeah. <laughs> Okay, anyways, first news, this weird game studio called Savage, Savage Game Studio, is that how you pronounce it? raised 4.4 million to make a mobile shooter game um and it's odd i'm just gonna say this <laughs> odd that two people on the same podcast are going after the same genre because <laughs> this is obviously visca's startup um but what what is it like what, what is it in the water that all of a sudden has made joe and visca both go after the one of the you know largest and most contested genres on the market we spent too much time together. That's the biggest problem. Like we just spent too much time together and then we end up doing same things without even discussing what we're doing. No, but honestly, I'm not going to go to the details. Um, really happy with the investment, of course, and um, and happy to to move along now that JK has been, you're being, you'll be, you raised uh, a couple of months ago, right? Uh, earlier, but yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, so we're finally getting into a position where we can start moving in to uh to a production after concept validation uh during the uh after after the summer that we started and yeah i don't know i'm not gonna go to the details i've been talking too much about yeah. why and we're doing like just just look at joe that is yourself in a few months right like <laughs> <laughs> that is the shooter market face right there dude and what makes you what's your what makes your studio so savage why did you call it savage game studios uh, it's it's really simple. It, it really started off with we start like I was reading a lot through the Joachim stuff and on like how to start a company and this and that. And he was always talking about the mission. And I've never thought about the mission or these high elements. I was always thinking about like how to make a game and make that game successful. So that kind of led to talking about like, you know, what kind of people do you want to work in your company and blah, blah, blah. And that led to like, we want savages. Like it doesn't matter like who you are, where you come from, 
what you do. But if you're a savage, like that's the kind of atmosphere one at the company where people next to you are absolute savages and you trust them and you want to work with them and you respect them. Um, and that kind of led to, you know, savage. So that's, that's honestly it. Um, one suggestion, mm -hmm. your photo, only one, your photo is terrible. Oh my God. <laughs> it looks like you're in <laughs> high school, buddy. I, I, when, when that photo, like, I don't know how we went, like JK did really nice photos. Like the ones that you posted, I'm, I'm really bad with the photos. And when that photo was taken, I was again, just working. And then somebody's like, Hey, let's go to the other room and take a photo. I'm like, okay, fine. And I didn't even have a t-shirt. So if you look at it, it's a t-shirt that is turned <laughs> the other way around. <laughs> because it had like all kind of prints i was just working but, <laughs> but, uh, Start but yes madam you're you're very correct that photo sucks. that was a terrible photo um also you're split between helsinki and berlin yeah uh, so actually i'm kind of curious how are you guys faring with kind of two remote studios yeah so so remote is not that big of a thing nowadays because pretty much every studio is remote uh for us it was more of a functional thing so scaling up uh, with the talent that we need. So you can't really, you know, build a shooter with, with a couple of people. So you need a little bit more people. And our founding team was from part from Helsinki, from this circle. And part of it was from, uh, from the Berlin circle. So Wargaming Berlin. And, um, and we truly believe that we can scale better with two locations, just easier to find people. Dude, thanks. So. You're right. This picture is black on black. What the hell were you thinking, dude? <laughs> <laughs> do you think do you it's think like, like your, the first your, thing your head is materializing from the ether Listen, in this picture dude fucking who care, who cares clean it up, what dude. i look like like who honestly like what does it matter like our looks you're the like, ceo really, of a company it's just so dude. easy to make fun of it's just so easy See, look if, if, i know if, it sucks look but. if joseph looked like he did now when he was raising money, he would have never raised money, dude. Cause they'd be like, oh my God, this guy is a total burnout, right? Let's, let's, but hey. Same way, so. you, you gotta I look like nice. a, more than a high schooler, dude. Like, I don't know. Well, that's, that's, weird, that's even better. Photo. I can just say that I dropped out of, of, of college and just started the shooter studio and so forth. But, but, um, but yeah, you guys are absolutely right. I look horrible. I look like a kid who's making a game, which is kind of true. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, but I guess if there's one thing, you do definitely look a lot younger than you actually are. So maybe that's a good thing. Yeah. yeah. You're old, right? How old are you? Like 40, 45? Pushing <laughs> 50. Yeah. I'll leave that as a secret. Leave that as a secret. <laughs> all right, moving on. Anyways, in actual news. <laughs> yeah, I could just uh, talk shit all goddamn day, dude. Let's do this. <laughs> Right, it's fine. We already um, crossed. We already crossed that point. Now you can talk all the shit. So, <laughs> next news. Uh, I don't know, guys, if you're experiencing this, but pretty much all of my friend groups have all moved off WhatsApp right now. Um, so there was a pretty big exodus this week. Signal and Telegram got a lot of the benefits, but uh, WhatsApp um, is changing its policy, um, specifically to link data from Facebook um, and collect data from additional sources. Um, so while I think WhatsApp actually shared some user data with Facebook for years, this updates actually consolidates data sharing across all of its users, including those who chose to opt out of data sharing with Facebook in the past. Um, so from my experience, I actually shifted fully to Telegram and Signal. I never really liked WhatsApp, kind of felt like it was like Blackberry Messenger, um, still working on today. But anyways, I've moved on. Um, and also, um, Eric, you did a good rant last podcast um, on Cyberpunk 2077. Uh, Kotaku and Jason Schreier just did also a great article outlining, I think, the development perspective. Um, so I definitely recommend reading that article. Yeah, uh, and, and the CEO responded to it as well. But okay. now, and then now there's a second lawsuit this morning going from the shareholders going after these guys. Um, yeah, what a mess. What a freaking oh, mess. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anyways. Joe. All right, two updates for me. First, Huge has announced it will go public on the Warsaw Stock Exchange, expects to raise $150 million. It looks oh, like Misko, you, you've got a podcast coming in with him. Is that right? Yeah, so I, I bumped to him in a store this weekend. So he lives in the same neighborhood. And and um, and we previously, like, <laughs> we, so we agreed on a podcast. So that's incoming. So it's a that's great cool. neighborhood. <laughs> All right, no, Anton, Anton is awesome. Uh, but he's... Is he in Berlin now, or is he moving back and forth between Berlin and Helsinki? He lives, he lives here in the suburbs of Helsinki. Okay. And this was actually reported last year, probably around October or so, but Bloomberg also is just doing like a follow-up report on 
cracked on and they published a part our article of digging a little bit deeper in terms of the history and kind of the current status of craft on which is a company that operates PUBG. but they will likely be going public for about 27 billion later this year jesus christ so they also announced that they have two other projects that are related to the PUBG franchise or something that are in the works for 21 and 22. so that's probably part of the overall like pitch but again, you know, we're talking about the fervor that is video games and everyone's going public. Like, again, this hasn't happened since like for 15, 20 years, right? So we had a few publicly, you know, like, you know, Zynga and, um, and Glue back in the mobile days, but it's been a long time since we've seen these absolutely massive IPOs. So it's a, it's a great time to be in video games is I guess what I'm saying. Um, yeah. There's gonna be a lot to talk about, a lot to do over the next few years. Regarding PUBG, I just looked at our um, our <laughs> stats for the podcast, which I rarely do. We are the 13th largest gaming podcast in South Korea. So I think thanks goes to Joseph Kim. <laughs> I don't know, it's just a random, random fact they kind of send you from Chartable. And I just noticed that we are placing very high in Korea. So shout out to our Korean listeners. Uh, <laughs> anyways, that just came out of PUBG. Uh, <laughs> So my updates, I want to congratulate the investment bankers at Arium. So this year they had a, like they had an amazing year in 2020. They did 10 transactions worth 3.5 billion. And some of them we've talked about this podcast, like Meltsoft to Moon Active, Hutch to MTG, Peak to Zynga, Calibri to Ubisoft, Stormate to Silphone, Daybreak to EG7. So these guys spent a lot of time on Zoom calls and they actually shared some numbers and how much time they spent on Zoom calls. And that was 830,000 yeah. minutes in Zoom. So that's a lot of time uh, of the guys spending in in, um, in the Zoom meetings and they are always avid listeners for the podcast. So shout out to Arium uh, Investment Bank. And the second updates I, I want to do is what I haven't done for the couple episodes is just highlight certain games that are in soft launch or scaling up. So number one is App Lovin's Project Makeover. It came out to the market in November of 2019. It's from the same developers in Beijing that made Matching Dimension. And during the last three months, it really started scaling. Currently, it's making well over 20 million a month. And the growth looks just straight up hockey stick. So Applovin has clearly found how to scale this game. And it's, it's really, really booming. Uh, the second one that I want to highlight is from our friends at Lilith. This game is called Warpath, and it's a 4X game. It's currently on Google Play only, and it's it's making like three million a month, uh, three months after soft launch. So this is uh, the Rise of Kingdoms is their previous success. This is kind of a follow-up title, title, very different setting, very different theme, uh, clearly for uh, a little bit of a different audience, but looking looking good. Uh, the revenue per download is still quite modest, but it's very early in this type of game. And as soon as they start driving all kinds of events, I think this is going to be the next next big hit from Lilith. So those are my key game updates. All right, so rolling into the news, the first article we're gonna cover is mobile game maker Playtika goes public at $11 billion valuation. And this is an article reported on by GamesBeat. And so Playtika did file to go public, I think at $27 a share and the exact valuation was 11.4 billion. So now this gives Playtika a valuation actually higher than Zynga with the market uh, and Mark Zynga's market cap is around 10.4 billion. Glue, just to give you a relative sense, is about 1.5 billion. And funny thing about Playtika is it has been controlled by a holding company owned by a consortium of investors called Alpha Frontier that is in turn controlled by Chinese firm Giant Investment Company, which is in turn controlled by this guy named Yuzu Shi. And in terms of some of the key risk factors that games beat, highlighted from Playtika's S1, they mentioned a few things. For example, one, that the control of the company by Yuzu Shi has it such that he could basically do anything he wants to with Playtika. Second, that the potential regula regulation of loot boxes in the US may potentially impact them negatively. Third, the impact of IDFA. Fourth, the amount of debt the company holds. And fifth, the potential impact of CFIUS, the Committee for Investment in the US, on Playtika's ability to acquire companies based on control of the company by a Chinese entity. Having said that, in the GamesBeat article, Playtika CFO Craig Ab Abrahams does talk down a few of these risks. For example, on IDFA, 
he stated, quote, a large percentage of our revenue comes from older cohorts of users. We are less reliant on customer acquisition. We also don't launch many new games in a given year, so we don't have a constant need to spend significant dollars on new user acquisition versus re-engaging the existing base. We think we have mitigated this. I agree it's a risk factor. And then on the debt, Abraham said that the company looks at debt relative to cash flow. The current leverage is 2.4, where debt is 2.4 times the amount of cash flow. And he states, quote, the amount of debt is relatively nominal. So just to give people some history, this is my take now, uh, in, in terms of Playtica, the structure of the company does seem a little bit unusual, at least in terms of anything that, that I've seen. And the history has been kind of interesting in that Playtica was, I believe it was founded in 2010, then acquired by Caesars Interactive Entertainment in 2011 by that consortium of Chinese investors in 2016 for 4.4 billion. Uh, in, and so we're talking about a pretty massive gain since 2016. I mean, it's not like Roblox 26 billion gain in one year, <laughs> but quite impressive nonetheless. And then this consortium called Alpha Frontier is a group of Chinese investors led by Giant, but also including PE groups like Yunfeng Capital, which is Jack Ma's PE group. And since 2016, uh, this, this guy, uh, Yuzu Shi, has been actually trying to take Playtika public for like the last three years in a row. And finally, just given how frothy the market is this year, they finally pulled it off and great news for Playtika. And I would say that in terms of the risks, if you, uh, if you read some of the stuff mentioned by GameSpeed or dive into the S1, my personal opinion is that likely the two biggest risks are really going to be around, one, the acquisition risk that they talk about, that you know, most, of their, most of their growth has come via acquisitions, just like many other of the consolidators in the industry right now. And so we really are running out of targets. And given that a lot of deals need to be accretive and that this year may be a little bit of a down year relative to last year's COVID year, I do think that this is going to be a major challenge for them. And second, that uh, if acquisitions become more difficult, I know Playtika does own five studios and that they are going to have to try and figure out how to get growth. This is going to be the main issue for Playtika. How do they get growth? If not through acquisitions, then new game development. But if you look at the history of Playtika, they have largely been culturally a very data-oriented, more of a live ops, one through N rather than zero to one type of company. So I think that you know, again, I'm, I'm rooting for these guys. I think they're a fantastic company, but I do think that there are some challenges ahead for them this year. Any thoughts, guys? Yeah, we're going to do a podcast later in the week on this one um, specifically. Um, everyone I talk to in industry says this is an absolutely very, very well-run company. Like these guys sure. are badasses at yep. what they do, particularly live ops, UA, re-engagement, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the fact that they chose to diversify out of casino, unlike SciPlay and others, is was really smart. And I think that diversification probably needs to continue. But, um, but, and I guess that's kind of where the risk is. The same kind of thing you're saying is that with their existing portfolio, I don't think there's much risk with IDFA deprecation really, because they have that audience, they can probably re-engage them in, in different ways. But growing outside of casinos, what they need to do for long-term growth, that's gonna be a huge challenge with IDFA, right? So if they try to go into any other genres, they're gonna, they, they are very sophisticated, but the fact is the market has changed. And so it's gonna be penetrating new genres gonna be more and more of a challenge for, uh, for new entries without licenses, et cetera, et cetera. But anyway. Yeah, I, I, I think, think that, uh, sorry, Eric, just no, wanted to note yeah. that, yeah, the IDFA, IDFA issue actually makes it harder for competitors to compete against Playtika if they're going after social casino. So that's true too. Okay, yeah. that's true. But but I think to your point, like in order for them to get to the next level of growth, similar to SciPlay, is they have to release new games outside of their core genre, yeah, yeah. right? You're, <laughs> right. I mean, you can't like. Well, I mean, you can keep releasing casino games, but that's a that's a fool's errand, I think, in this day, given where they're at on in their market market share. Play, so play anyway, we're going to discuss it next week or, or later this week. So hopefully we'll get more. more play ticket, to my understanding, hasn't been releasing that many games. Like they're usually more of acquiring companies and then those acquired companies are the ones that they that release new titles. So I'm Yeah, well, not... according to the S1, they have five studios working on new games, although I, I'm not sure what 
what the pipeline looks like or what if they've released stuff or you know what they're working on currently. But awesome. they certainly have a lot of smart people there for sure. Exactly. And the studio is like Jelly Button that is constantly cranking out new content. And um, yeah, without going into details, we actually have a one podcast already recorded with with Seriously, which is one of the uh, the Playtica acquired companies. So that should be an interesting listen in terms of uh, how they work with with the company that they've acquired. And Play Seriously has been on some serious growth, uh, no pun intended, after after the acquisition. So uh, that should also open up of, of their capabilities to improve already successful companies. Adam. Yeah, let's move on to the next article. Um, so this one's titled 2020 Year in Review. Um, it's the blog by Nanduan. Uh, hopefully I said your name right, sorry. Uh, he's the Supercell Shanghai game lead. Um, and I would say his blog is amazing and always has great insights, especially from a different perspective, a more Eastern perspective. Um, and this article in particular, um, there was kind of four major points, but I'm going to distill it down to, I think, the two major gaming topics that were on his mind, uh, which were a little bit more China-centric. The first one was the impact that Genshin Impact had. Um, and he's coining it as the start of the industrial age for game production from China. And what he means by industrial age, consumers are demanding higher fidelity games with ever more content, which equates to bigger teams, specialization of talent, sophisticated production pipelines, and importantly, tools. Um, so he's seeing a shift in China towards UE4 development instead of say Unity development. Um, so Unreal Engine 4. Uh, more towards say mass multiplayer, high fidelity, mobile PC crossplay, um, and even noted some examples like Timmy actually has ads for AAA realistic racing simulations. So uh, likely say racing as a free-to-play service. Uh, definitely very interesting. Um, and with that, you know, China is getting a lot more humble about what they don't know. And I think tool development was a really big example here and how say premium AAA developers focus a lot of their budget on tool creation compared to China. Um, and interestingly, about 10 years ago, 12 years ago, I used to be a premium AAA tools developer uh, for electronic arts. Um, and yeah, we, we spent a lot of our time on building amazing tools. And I wasn't really aware that China hadn't really been investing too much of their development into tools development. Um, because it is so imperative for the types of services like Genshin to actually work. Um, and I think consistently churning out vast amounts of live ops content, despite relatively immature tooling is what uh, uh, Nan actually talked about compared to the Western peers is really about like rapidly improving their ability to develop these things. So that was a very interesting point. Um, yeah, it was counter to what I assumed was correct considering the market out there and the amount of games that they build, you know, massive amount of content within. Second point was on Honor of Kings, reaching its five-year anniversary. Um, and the takeaway that I got here is more about, say, how disruption challenges our biases, a lot of uh, innovator's dilemma. Um, he spoke about being humbled by his overconfidence working at Riot uh, when Honor of Kings launched. And he felt at the time, you know, it was a well-executed, great game, but it would never be a major threat to League of Legends. It was too shallow and core fans would never switch. But by 2017, two years in, they noticed League of Legends players were getting pulled into Honor of Kings. It was a tipping point of social scale. Uh, people were leaving all their achievements, economies, and progression that they put into League of Legends because socially they were getting tugged into the next hot thing. I think an example here is actually just WhatsApp. I left all of my chats, everything that I ever had baked into WhatsApp because Telegram and Signal is where it's at. Um, and equated this to mass sentiment and our sentiment that like, okay, PUBG, COD Mobile, you know, our initial instincts on free to play is that it would never work. Um, it would never eat into a core fan base, yet PUBG Mobile is now the top game worldwide and COD Mobile is growing fast in China. Um, and I think, especially when we look at PUBG, um, PUBG Mobile is a much better game than PUBG on PC, especially when you look at the live operations. Um, so really, like even for core fans, PUBG Mobile is executing better than the PC version at giving fans what they want at a regular basis. And I think this article is just a gut check on you know biases and speaks to innovators' dilemma. We work right now, all four of us, on the forefront of mobile free-to-play design, but inevitably there will be underlying and hard-to-see shifts that challenge that are our business models dominance. 
And I think PC console experiences coming to mobile subscriptions, challenging free-to-play unit economics. It's been humble and recognizing, you know, our incorrect biases um, has been great. I think um, there's always going to be market shifts and we need to be able to identify them. So I think like gut checking us, I, I really push you guys to think what biases do we think we hold that are likely to be proven incorrect in the coming years due to market shifts? Dude, I have so many biases. I don't even know where to begin. Um, let's see. <laughs> I, I, I actually... He, he's very thoughtful writer. Like he's really, really good. At yeah. He does. Great. Yeah. I was impressed. I, and I actually, I'm thinking I'm going to read a little bit more closely uh, after this, but so I guess my biggest takeaway from this whole article, and maybe I'm just trying to simplify it a bit. If, if China moves to more of a triple a type content, because they've kind of been in more of a double a single a type thing, particularly on mobile, then perhaps maybe it opens up the market and for more Western style AAA experiences. You know, that is one of my clear biases that I just don't think that'll ever work. Um, but if it does, you know, that may mean that, that it will, you know, provide a better market for the Western, Western developers in China. Um, but the my fundamental issue with that, the government will likely shut that thing down or block them completely. So it's like almost irrelevant, but it creates a more, a, a bigger market for AAA in potentially anyway. So I think that will be interesting to see if that evolves over the next, you know, five years. Yeah, this, this was a, a truly a good, good read. And what I, what I really like about it was the, uh, the concept of industrialization. And I was kind of thinking about it. Um, in the West, we've seen more of a dichotomy when it comes to this, like we've seen hyper casual grow at the same time as call of duty mobile. So, it's, it's kind of, even when you look at the top of the charts, there are games with higher and higher production values like these modern RPGs and shooters and so forth. But then there are games that have a quite low production values like uh, Coinmaster or Evermerge or, or other, you know, all the, all the kind of merge games that are currently growing. So I was kind of thinking about the Chinese developers as well. Of course, I don't know the Chinese market, but I was thinking mainly about the Chinese developers that are succeeding in mobile. You know, the Funpluses, the Lilith, the IGG. They, I mean, IGG has pretty high production values but when you think about Lily's top games like afk arena or rise of kingdoms um you know even even the new newest title the warpath not the shooter title but the warpath like it's not it's not you know they require big teams of course but it doesn't seem that they are the ones that are pushing this production value so what i'm trying to say is yes i i, I understand that there's this concept of industrialization going on but i don't quite believe that the players players you know perceptions and and demands will go for higher and higher production i think there's the, there's the the the, uh, the group of players who who want higher and higher production values and they will be uh, more eager to 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 move to mobile and play these high production value games but at the same time i think there's always place for more casual more um accessible looking and playing games uh, like these top uh, developers have shown so that was that was kind of my take on the industrialization now the ways of, of building games in china it makes all the sense that they don't concentrate on tooling because they can scale up teams really fast and they're really good at working with in big teams uh, really good at, uh, at at reverse engineering and, and building games so in that sense it's interesting to to see what happens when they also get the capabilities to build very uh, robust tools so that they can actually even get more out of out of their uh, out of their large teams, and then the final two elements was was the uh, the League of Legend Wild Rift. Uh, naturally, since Nan was was somehow uh, connected to the making of this game, he had a very positive, or not I wouldn't say positive. Was he had a hopeful outlook for Wild Rift and how it could actually capture audience in China. Um, he he wrote that the League establishment that shunned Honor of Kings have been dying to play League of Mobile MOBA, and perhaps this echelon of esports pros and streamers can create a big enough beachhead. And there is still a brand premium, in my opinion, though the picture is nuanced as Honor of Kings has leaned into Chinese culture. Uh, I think he's just being uh, very positive towards it. I I don't see League in couple of years Wild Rift actually because it will take them about a couple of years before they can actually launch in China. I don't see them taking taking peace out of this monster known as honor of Kings. And Adam, just like you talked about the, uh, the messaging apps, it's, um, it's, it's really like if, if your whole social um, network is on one game, you wouldn't be starting the next one unless everybody starts hating the previous one. And the final point 
he, this wasn't like a major point in what he what he wrote about was that Chinese studios want to share, but there's a language barrier. Uh, I'm sure that we would love to, you know, welcome them to in any way to have a discussion with Lilith or or folks with IGG and of course Fun Plus, like we, we know them. But um, if there's any way to to open up a platform for Chinese developers, we'll be happy to have them on this podcast or or any other way. Right, JK? Yeah. Yeah, you're the biggest fan of Lilith. I know. Yeah, so, but Adam did fine though. I actually, I, I stopped reading since last year, but this was finally an article that I read and uh, it was definitely quite good. So <laughs> I, I didn't find it. I, I didn't find it. Uh, okay. I shared it. I actually posted okay. it. Yeah. Nice. Uh, yeah. But you what just you stopped mean? reading? You just, you just stopped, stopped reading? reading? I, I what the fuck is that? I, I skim now. I Well, it, until this one, I actually read this one through rather than just kind of skimming. But Oh, right, right. Yeah, yeah actually, I've been that way for years now, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> I don't read. <laughs> Come All right, on, moving guys. on. Um, um, the, the one thing I wanted to bring about the tools, right? Like one interesting bit is, okay, so all these Chinese developers may have admitted that, you know, we're, we're not as great at tool development as Western developers. But if you think of all the live tools that, all of these Western developers produce, especially to, to you know, lean down their live operations as best as possible. Sometimes tools development can actually pigeonhole the type of content that you produce, right? And the type of novelty you can create. So I'm wondering like some of these Chinese developers are really out executing out, uh, Western developers. It could be because they don't actually have the greatest tools development and they end up throwing a lot more people at these problems. And those people end up creating a lot more novel content. So in the case of something like PUBG Mobile, they're constantly coming up with amazing game modes. But if a Western developer was building this, maybe they would have, you know, just opted towards small little tweaks of, of tools instead of, you know, um, looking at it as saying, let's try to lean in and create very, very big beat content. Does that make sense? Yeah, make, makes sense. But I, I think the other thing, because you're talking more tools on the production side, right? But I also think that China actually lacks in terms of tools on the sort of infrastructure and live ops sites. Some of the stuff that Playteak is actually quite good at in terms mm -hmm. of you know, having uh, a lot of live ops automation, having uh, a lot of technology applied to optimizing live ops. So I do think that that's also an area where, you know, I, I mean, the Chinese guys are super smart. So uh, they'll get there, but they're definitely not there yet. Yeah, and, and the, the, there's the other aspect of having big teams and, and relying on a lot of manpower. Um, from, from my information, like especially with the studios in Beijing, the turnover is really, really high. Like you might have a turnover of 50% in a year. So a lot of people are just coming in and leaving. That's that's hard to manage, especially when you have a big team and people are constantly changing. So I think it's just, it's just smart to build certain tools. Like, yeah. All right, are we moving on? Talk Lucas. Okay. So uh, the article is uh, Star Wars games to be branded under Lucasfilm games banner. So this is a story that was really not much of a story to some degree, but it actually became a huge story in the sense that now the Star Wars license is open to all developers, it seems, for their taking. Um, so anyway, the announcement was basically they're going to consolidate the brands for Lucas under Lucasfilm games. Um, and that includes all the brands, Star Wars and what other big brands are there between Star Wars and, uh, oh my God, I just forgot, I blanked on it, um, Indiana Jones. But anyway, let's assume they have lots of IP. Um, what's interesting is that this was their original banner back in the 90s or 80s, right? And then they changed it to LucasArts in uh, 1990. Um, so, but anyway, it's interesting that they would actually you know, bring this back way back. Um, so after this announcement, we just started seeing a, a few announcements or a slew of announcements about new games that are coming from other studios. So Bethesda announced the Indiana Jones game. Um, basically think, you know, an Uncharted game, likely exclusive for Microsoft. So to compete to get directly against PlayStation's Uncharted, which is quite cool. And then the most exciting, exciting thing is Ubisoft is doing an open world game with our friends at Massive, which is basically the division in the Star Wars universe, which I am in. I don't even care what the game is like. I am in. That's awesome. So I guess what I want to talk to you is kind of like what happened here? Like what, what, what transpired to open this up and what does it actually mean for the industry and for Star Wars, etc.? cetera? Um, so EA has had the exclusive over the last eight years and they basically had another two years, I think, under the contract. So it seems like they mutually agreed to open this up 
uh, and to cut it short a little bit. Um, and you know, the good news I think for most of people in the industry is that it opens up the license to lots of other publishers. You know, and the inside baseball thing here is from from a, an analysis perspective of, of EA is that the deal actually was quite good for EA, uh, despite a lot of people think that they failed at this and that they didn't have enough games and the you know Battlefront Two was a disaster, ba 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 ba. But the reality is, I think they made tons of money with this license, despite the fact that they did not really execute against it as it was planned, right? Um, you know, Jedi Fallen Order did quite well. Even Battlefront One and Two did did reasonably well. So I think, again, it was good for EA financially. However, it was clear they did not have the teams or the talent to execute against this license as an exclusive because the goal, I think anyway, was to have a game every year and they just did not ever reach that cadence really, right? Um, they canceled a few projects and, you know, when the, the, the double-edged sword when you have an exclusive is that you have to, you have to put your resources against that license right which means that your resources are not geared towards other things right so it's a it's a push and pull type thing and i think they just kind of ran into that issue um so anyway the really good news here is that regardless of what they actually do with the licensing disney is not making any games right that's what we don't want we don't want disney or some fucking team in lucas starting to drive bring up and start building games because that is a fucking disaster right we don't want that right so that does not look like what's happening here so that's good right uh the second thing is obviously we're getting an absolutely awesome open world third person shooter from our guys at at uh, massive so that's the other thing um so and and and, and again i think this provides teams all over the world the potential of building amazing experiences in the Star Wars universe. And last week I talked about like the the uh, the genre or theme hierarchy, you know, for open world games or whatever for CD project under the guise of CD projects. Star Wars basically puts sci-fi very very close to fantasy, right? Like uh, Star Wars I license uh um uh uh sci-fi game is is a different animal than just like a typical like generic sci-fi game just to be clear. All right. So here's the risk. The risk is that the Disney guys, and I imagine many of the people that are working in this Lucas group that are licensing are kind of whores, right? They will license to anybody who has the money, right? So this is a huge fucking risk, generally speaking. And if you look at what they've done with mobile, it's actually a case in point. Go to Sensor Tower and search up Star Wars, right? And see, what kind of trash they have licensed this fucking IP to, right? There are over a hundred games that have the Star Wars license. This is what we don't want. We do not want indiscriminate licensing for one of the best IPs in the world, right? And so this is their biggest risk, right? So right now we've seen these two announcements that are absolutely amazing, right? In terms of their, their the, the, the potential, in terms of creating something amazing with the, with the two games that are announced. But I'll tell you, we are going to be scratching our heads going, what the fuck is going on in a few months when they start licensing this to anybody that has dough, right? So again, we do not want these licensing guys to go off the rails and start, you know, announcing crazy projects because that would actually really, really not only hurt my feelings, but also hurt the IP, like, you know, the sanctity of the Star Wars IP in, in, in particularly in the AAA world, right? Um, so anyway, that's my my biggest concern with this whole thing is that that's what Disney does is they license. You know, Marvel is another case in point. Like there are some amazing Marvel games. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying the amount of trash that's in the fucking app store that has a Marvel license attached to it is fucking ridiculous, right? And so anyway, we just do, do, do not want to uh, to spread this too thin. And that's what they tend to do anyway. But regardless, we'll have some really great AAA games because I think it is a license that lends itself to open world, to action adventure, to shooters, to all kinds of genres that we love. And so I maybe we will just focus on those. Uh, any thoughts from anybody? Well, oh, it's also kind of a reflection of the market differences, right? Like on, on mobile versus AAA. I don't think we should see as many, you know, just crazy amount of games in AAA premium games, right? I'm hoping. But still, I just feel like there's only a limited number of developers, a limited number of publishers that can actually afford this license. So I'm assuming we're not. Although personally, looking through the film history of Lucasfilm, I'm very excited for Howard the Duck 
Willow MMO, Labyrinth MMO, for sure. Okay. Yeah. First of all, <laughs> you're showing your sign of age, right? You're fucking old, dude, because those licenses are so dead. Like, it's unbelievable. <laughs> of course, of course. I'm just kidding around here. Come on. <laughs> I know. Second of all, I agree with you, right? There's a certain limitation in terms of production cost associated with building a AAA game that limits the amount of people that are going to be accessing this. But man, I don't know, dude. History is not a good guide for this, right? I just don't like, yeah, you know. You get 9 million here, 10 million, 20 million here, right? Like you can be pretty indiscriminate about what you do. And and uh, yeah, mobile is a guide, right? I mean, you, you just look on Star Wars. I mean, there's like maybe one or two games that are a triple A on, on mobile, right? The Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes. Is there any other good Star Wars games on mobile? I don't there's think so. There's been a, a number of attempts at triple A mobile development, right? Yeah, I mean, the MOBA was a fucking train wreck. Although, yeah, I don't know. What, uh, all I'm saying is, yeah, beware, right? We'll see a lot of goddamn Star Wars games in development. Well, you know, like, actually, the Square Enix thing is a great example. Like, uh, that, uh, that game was obviously clearly huge budget. Like, they had, a, they had an amazing idea, and they just didn't execute against it. Um, um, You're talking but, about Marvel Avengers. Yeah, Marvel yeah. Avengers, yeah. right? Yeah. So it could be games like that where Square Enix, Capcom maybe NetMarble, Net NetEase, like all those guys start looking at, at Star Wars and trying to build shit within that universe. And yeah. It's just you going know, to see. be difficult. But in the case, of, like, but in the case the, of like Marvel Avengers, right? Like I'm assuming the licensing deal pushed them towards having to, you know, <laughs> make sure the project looked big enough and large enough scope. They probably could have made more money if they hadn't have aimed to create a massive open world live service game, right? They could have brought that down more towards the scope that that team was used to with Tomb Raider, but because of the license, I'm assuming they had to aim a lot higher. Do you think? Sorry, I don't know if I- No, I, I, I think you're right. But again, like if you were looking after the, sorry, I'm, I'm never mind. I'm not gonna go, well, <laughs> to your point, I'm gonna try to make you the bad guy here. To your point, if I was a licensor and I wanted to build an open world, massively multiplayer game that had Elder Game, live ops and everything, do you think I'd go to Crystal Dynamics and Square Enix? No, no fuck no, dude. No, no. You go to Massive, right? That's, that's where you would go, right? Or other teams that have actually done this shit, right? But you know how much money they must have spent for that license? I mean, insane amounts of money, right? And so that's an, that's an obscene example. That's, a, that's like more of a you know, a high-end example. I'm, it's going to be a lot worse than that in terms of the, you know, maybe they create like, you know, story adventure games in the Star Wars universe, right? So we're, we're going to get another Telltale, no, not Telltale. What the fuck? I can't remember. Uh, Walking Dead type thing for Star Wars, right? <laughs> Is that what we really need? Like yeah, that could happen yeah. easily. That could but happen. You got, okay, so you got machine games, Wolfenstein developers building some sort of reboot of the Indiana Jones games, right? Okay. Right. You're, you're going to do some sort of uncharted Indiana Jones thing. That, right. that makes sense. Yep. Right. right. Smaller scale, but still. But, hopefully here, yeah. here, here's the here's the issue, guys. Like, like when you're when you're pushing a lot of these games out and you're asking for very high number for the IP. Like, is the IP any more of that value? Because, like, in the case of Marvel on mobile, there's so many games that are not trash. They're actually very good quality but they just don't stand out because these games last for a long time like contest of champions like what eight years seven years old and when you release a new game with the marvel ip that is kind of similar maybe a different type of rpg just hard to get traction and and you just fill the market with this ip so the value of ip arguably goes down there's not that many developed well there might be but it's it's hard to pay that 20 million or whatever it costs to make uh, a star wars game or a marvel game so Kind of thinking that's it's agreeing that it's short-sighted by just increasing the uh, the supply to the market so heavily. Wait, I'm I'm a little understood not understanding what you just said, but what I'm trying to say is that these licensors at Disney don't give a shit about the integrity of the license per se. They go where the money is, right? Mm -hmm. And so I all these projects are funded based upon the idea that they're going to create something amazing and they're giving these guarantees of, you know, 9 million, hundred million, I don't know, fuck who are depending. Yeah. So I don't think there's any, you know, they, they try to be stewards of the license, but ultimately it's all about the money. It's all about yeah. the Benjamins. Right. So I agree. And I'm just saying that on the long run, it also hinders the, uh, 
it, it decreases the price of the IP because when you're getting a Star Wars IP and if there's not that many games coming out, you are the Star Wars game of the year or the second Star Wars. But if there's four Star Wars games slated for this year, you're not going to stand out. And if last year there were four other games, it's just hard to hard to ask for that premium, like that super premium price for the IP because your game is not going to stand out that much. Uh, no, I, I disagree with that. Okay. I, I, I agree with what you're saying, but I don't think that's the way the, the structure of licensing works is that mm -hmm. you're, at the, you're at the behest of the licensor. And if you really want that license to differentiate your product, which may become more and more important with this IDFA bullshit, right? Then, yeah. then they, they are in the driver's seat, right? And then they are going to, this is a whole other conversation, but we have yeah, to yeah. actually get moving because we have a hard stop. And these right. predictions look long, so you have to you have to shorten these up a bit because I'm these bad, are good bad. predictions, by the way, Mr. Katkoff. I like these. <laughs> All right, I'm going to sum it up. Two predictions, so you can read them because they're on the blog. So the first one was written by yours truly with Nick Turling, who has a great blog, game development blog called Ladocious, and he also works at Voodoo Berlin. So the meat of the of the hyper casual blog is well hyper casual post is that the market grew by 50% and was making in our approximation about 3 billion a year. So significant, significant growth, 50% year over year in downloads, which is not what I would have expected for hyper casual games, because I thought this was just time killers and something you play where you're commuting or waiting for a bus or whatever it is. But actually during the lockdowns, people just downloaded these games. But nevertheless, once again, uh, we are pointing out to several things why we feel that the hyper-casual market uh, is not as sustainable going forward. So number one is the surplus of games. So hyper-casual games are relatively simple and fast to develop compared to other games on mobile. This leads to much higher influx of new games at an incredibly rapid speed with publishers that often don't even have internal development, shipping fast and shipping a lot. So that's one. Number two is the fast follow. And this we've seen more and more uh, of these core game innovations over the years, but the short development times lead to publishers jumping on a game ideas that are trending, which in turn increases the IPM as nearly identical games battle for installs. So during 2020, we've seen this trend actually subdue a little bit because some of the large publishers have engaged in legal battles for copycat titles. So it's actually a good thing. Uh, the low LTVs, so hyper casual games focus on straightforward gameplay. Uh, and because of that, there's not a lot of, there's really no meta, there's really no progression. And this means that these decisions that make the games extremely fast to grasp, low entry barrier, low download barrier, they also make these games uh, not retain nearly as well as other games. And they don't have the meta system, they don't have any live services. This means that individual publishers need to constant influx of new scalable games to stay at the top. Number four is relatively low entry barrier. And here we kind of look at the, uh, the history of hyper casual games. Uh, we've seen, you know, good job games and say games and crazy labs kind of burst out of nowhere in 2018. Uh, this year, like last year, good job and say games are where we're going down. Uh, we've seen, and, and this kind of like, in like this significant increase in competition, not only by raising the CPIs, but also, in, but Sorry, I lost your words because I'm trying to get through the five minutes that JK gave me. <laughs> but just, just, the, just get to the predictions, dude. Just but, like, we all know that the hyper casual is trash, dude. Let's move no, on. It's not trash. There's a lot of issues. But anyways, <laughs> you got, so our predictions is four things. All right. Good, good call, Eric. So there's a decline of CPM cost by IDFA deprecation will undermine the monetization structure that relies on selling well monetizing players to other games. The market will see major consolidation with the top publishers growing while the small ones will decline. So we predict that these big ones, the Voodoo's, the, uh, the Crazy Labs, the other top 10 will be actually acquiring the smaller publishers as the smaller publishers will be going down. The second part is that these large hyper casual publishers, in addition to Voodoo, which we talked about that they have opened up their casual studios and, and, and venturing outside their core, these other top studios will also seek the growth outside the genre with acquisition of, uh, or creation of small development studios. And and yeah, nothing more about that. Uh, number three is that the hybrid casual model will see a breakthrough in 2021 as these hyper casual developers will be forced to increase monetization by implementing features to drive in-app in purchases. Now, this is a this is a tough one. It's, it's easy to say on paper that this will happen. But the thing is like, if you are a publisher and you don't have internal development, you haven't built the tools to run live ops, you haven't, you haven't really done game updates and now you have to go into a mode where you're actually sustaining the games in other ways than just running marketing. 
it's fucking it's not, impossible. It's, yeah, and then it's, it's not switch of the flip. So so essentially, the uh, the way to move to that is by acquiring studios, and then then have them do that. And number four is that the Zynga's acquisition of Rolik will be seen as a misfire, leading other top players in the market to become more careful when exploring M&A with hyper-casual publishers. So there, there's... All right, well, all right, dude, the one question you didn't answer was what, where did downloads go? Like, that's the big story here. I, even revenue, we know that revenue should be declining, right? In the no. sense that IDFA deprecation is going to hurt the re top line. Do you, but do you think downloads go to shit too, or what? I think I think that will be pretty high because again they're they're kind of selling them to each other. Um, so the way the market has grown is quite interesting. Is that the more publishers come in, like this is my view, the more publishers come in and they start scaling their games, the actually whole market grows because they're spending in other games. And, and oh, so the the, the circle jerk will continue even though the idea phase. Not 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 me, but. But, um, but well, I mean, look, if, if it's 60 to 70% of other hyper casuals are advertising on hyper casual, right? That's like the definition of Ponzi, right? Yeah. Well, so, so anyway, so, but if, if the efficacy of advertising on hyper casual games goes down by 40%, I mean, wouldn't people spend less money and, and, and download less games or push less games? The, the biggest problem will be that with IDFA is that it's going to be harder to acquire from hyper casual games. So I, I've seen multiple different numbers. I've seen something like 20 to 30% of, of publishers that are not hyper casuals advertising in hyper casual games. So they might be the ones that, that stop doing that. Um, and then, right. and then, and that, that will be basically the decline of the market, but overall it's, it's that, that will be the big hit. And then I have five minutes for RPG. I'm just going to go right into the, um, right into the prediction. Post, By so. the way, just to say, these articles are really worth reading. They're really well thought out. Clearly, Michael uh, Mishka didn't write these, so someone else must have wrote them. But anyway, I'm just kidding. I'm yeah. Just kidding. Yes. Yeah. This is actually fun fact. I okay. I'm not gonna go into it, but there was right. a guy who actually <laughs> was claiming that I didn't write my own blog posts. <laughs> but there's a clear name of the people who write them. But anyway, so for RPGs, not a lot of changed for RPGs. We broke down a few, well, not when you actually wrote this. Anyway, so 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 in this one, I, I looked at squad RPGs, action RPGs, puzzle RPGs. I, I fucking love RPGs. I was portraying different IPs because on this podcast, we've talked a lot about Disney, especially Blue's Disney game. So I was comparing Disney to Disney. I was talking about Tom Clancy. I was talking about Star Wars versus, versus Marvel and kind of making a point that IP sets a certain ceiling and expectation for your game and, and RPGs. Uh, then I was talking about production values because previously production values did not play a big role in RPGs on mobile. You had games that had low production values doing extremely well, and you had games with high production values doing extremely well. And I had an example always of Raid versus Hero Wars. So both games out of the Eastern Bloc, and one is super high production values, giant team, one is super low production values. But what I think will happen in post-IDFA, the high production value games like Raid, uh, will be able to capture audience across platforms and are arguably better than a game that already looks poor on small screen because i believe that there will be more pc launcher like playroom has put in and that will be their way to to mitigate the the effect of idea deprecation and i've seen actually a lot of rpg players already playing through different type of pc emulators their rpg games on pcs during work working hours so i think that will happen with a lot of top mobile mobile rpgs and and finally, yeah, I wrote about Diablo and and uh, Mandalorian, but you can you can check it out. So in terms of predictions, number one, launching and scaling RPG game will become even harder. Number two, monetization will go broad instead of deep, and this is again due to the IDFA deprecation. Uh, number three is we'll see a lot of collaboration with IP. So there's going to be, of course, new games coming in with an IP, but the existing ones will use IP to advertise, to promote their game, to make it more accessible and more and increase the wide appeal. And number four is the RPGs will go cross-platform. I mean, by this, only the top mobile RPGs. Now, I would assume, you know, Scopely's games and, and, and some of the others will actually provide a PC client uh, and that will allow to cater to their uh, primary or premium audience. And there were there's some, some small elements that I called out is I think that Zynga's Puzzle Combat will launch globally. They've been cooking that for a really long time. And there's actually a lot of other um, 
I forgot what the name is, but basically there's this Chinese company that is straight up copying uh, small giants games and just putting them out with different the themes and in with the same themes. There's like fantasy, there's uh, there's zombies. They just crank them out and they're already in top 100 in US. So uh, while small giant was was slowly cooking, these guys were just, just cloning, straight up cloning uh, and adding like 4X elements. Um, there was a, again, a call out of network. I mean, they did an excellent job with legendary, but but it's it's just been declining all the time. Seems like the the marketing has been turned off. So I would assume that this year Legendary will be acquired. And I kind of you know threw out EA as a potential, but I actually thought a little bit more. And I think it's going to be Microsoft because Microsoft have, has been launching some of the games on mobile, and they have absolutely no clue of what happens after you've made the game. And they do a nice game like Forza or or Battle Gear Pop, and then after that they just release and forget. And I think with a crew like like what Network has, you know, they would have far better chances of success. Uh, then, of course, Diablo Mobile, you know, our opinion, um, not going to go deeper into that. So that's two markets in 10 minutes. Guys, go to the uh, DOF, read all the predictions, um, you know, send me a message. Tell me you hate me because of these predictions or the other ways. But it is what it is. Just a humble opinion. JK. All right. I think that's it. That's Catch it. Catch you guys later. All right. So, all right. Bye. Bye bye.